0: The Oklahoma Sooners fall 38-35 to 35 to the Baylor Bears. Ah, man. We'll talk about it on today's episode of Locked On Sooners.
1: You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to, faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply thank you for joining us my name is john williams you can follow me on twitter at john nine williams my buddy here is josh helmer you can follow him on twitter at josh on ref you can also hear him monday through friday from nine to noon on ninety four seven the ref in norman josh man such a letdown on saturday frustrating day probably for the team as well as the fan base and I don't know if it's where we should start on this one but just on the defensive side of the football night and day performances from what we saw against Iowa State to Baylor obviously much better team the Baylor Bears are than the Iowa State Cyclones but man coming into this one I felt like that 66 yards rushing allowed to Iowa State was a a glimpse of at least a step in the right direction. And this team backslid all the way back to Kansas state TCU.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, And obviously, you know, for Oklahoma, this game, John was going to boil down to if Oklahoma could be competent defensively and, and look, we're going to dissect the offense. There's certainly, uh, you know, I I don't know. We, We can get into the blame game. I think it's, pretty equally culpable as far as I'm concerned, when you turn the football over the way that Oklahoma's offense did, but just specific to Oklahoma's defense, we, we knew that the game largely was going to boil down to could Oklahoma again, be competent, trying to uh, slow down Baylor rushing the football, Blake Shapin, again, final numbers only tell you part of the story sometimes, but, uh, we knew that if Baylor was going to be successful, they didn't really want to have to drop back and throw the football 40 times, 35 times with Blake Shapin uh, Obviously, he only threw it 23 times in this game for 132 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, he was intercepted once, right? But uh, Baylor averaged 5.9 yards per rush, and, uh, of course, uh, they had the five rushing touchdowns in the game. And ultimately for Oklahoma defensively, John, though they were put in uh, – obviously not great situations on multiple occasions by Oklahoma's offense. That's been a familiar theme for this football team, unfortunately, but uh, the Oklahoma defense didn't, didn't find a way out of its mess at times. And uh, ultimately just talking specific to the defense, John, not good enough against the run against a a Baylor team that we knew that was their MO.
0: Yeah. We knew they were going to try and run it and they were going to run it, whether it was effective or not, because that's just their, their game. That is what they want to do. That's their identity. And so it was a bit disappointing to see that they couldn't stop it more consistently than they were able to. And I think it goes back to what we've talked about at different times on the show and that the personnel is just not up to it right now. Some of it's, you know, whether or not they should be running in three man or four man alignments. Some of it is responsibilities and guys not really fulfilling the thing that they need to do. Some of it is on the scheme a little bit. Some of it is on the design there were a couple runs late in the game where they had both edge rushers just shooting straight up on the, the outside and there was nothing really left for them in the middle, except for a couple defensive tackles and the linebackers. And that was the design is edge rusher, just go straight up and take away the outside run. But that just left everything to go on the inside. And, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot that needs work. There's a lot that has to improve. And, and I think we knew that I think the thing that's disappointing is just the night and day difference from what we saw versus Iowa state, a team that looked disciplined, a team that looked under in, in understanding of what they were supposed to do in their you know, one gap scheme. I think a lot of times guys were guessing yesterday they were, and they guessed wrong. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to pull up the pro football focus, missed tackles numbers, but you know, coming into this game, they were, doing pretty good and they only missed 10 tackles according to pro football focus, which is not a bad, like they've had games this year where they missed 22 tackles. So 10 missed tackles on a day where Baylor just ran the football. One that goes to show like Baylor was creating a lot of big openings uh, from their offensive line and Craig squirrel. Williams had a lot of running room, but yeah, I mean the, the one missed tackle I remember that was as egregious as any play was Key Lawrence has a chance to bring down Williams right in the hole for about a six, seven yard gain, but drops his head and completely whiffs on it. And I think that play right there, along with some, you know, untimely defensive penalties were kind of the microcosm of the game because the defense did get stops at times. They did make plays to put Baylor in third and long fourth and long situations. I mean, there was a fourth and seven and Baylor can pick it up and converted it really easily. But then there was a, a play where David Aguibu makes a five yard tackle for loss to make it third and 13. And then we got the penalty by Isaiah Coe, which I was talking to somebody about it today. And, you know, I, I really think, I don't think he's trying to grab the face mask. I think he's just kind of trying to grab something as the Baylor blocker is, is just, you know, bullying him to the side. But that penalty was a killer, man. Instead of third and 13, now you're first and goal at the seven, and it, it's a totally different situation. And so it, that was just a, a microcosm of what this game was. Bay, Baylor just out-toughed and out-physicaled Oklahoma. They got some of the breaks on the defensive side of the ball, on, on some deflections that ended up interceptions. And Oklahoma really didn't get those things. And, and all of that to say that it was just a three-point loss. Now it could have been a 10 point loss had Craig Williams ran into the end zone on that final run, but he did the smart thing and, and slid and ate, you know, ran out the rest of the clock, but it's, it's frustrating. And it kind of drives you crazy that it was only a three point loss that Oklahoma had every chance to take control of this football game and they just couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. And look, I, I don't know if it's in this show or later this week where we kind of, do some wide-ranging takeaways, not just break down sort of the structure of how the game played out. But if if you're ready to dive into large-ranging takeaways from this game, John, I think, uh, you know, obviously the, the offensive mistakes, we touched on that, didn't really delve totally into it. But to me, this game kind of boils down to, to one overarching thing for Oklahoma. It's a program that had opportunities to go win this game. And right now, John, simply whether it's – rush defense if it's you know costly turnovers they're just not good enough to go win a football game against a team that is sort of sort of a a peer program right now at least in terms of I think just top to bottom talent of Baylor uh right you know the the coaching I don't know that there's just some massive edge for Aranda and that staff over Oklahoma Oklahoma had chances to win this game John and they didn't take said chances to win this game so trying to drill down into why is that the case, both defensively and offensively? That's kind of where we're at with Oklahoma, right? Why is this a mediocre football team right now? Why are they where they're at in the win-loss column? And how do you get anything somewhat fixed before this year is over? Because I still believe there's three winnable games for Oklahoma, and I don't think you have to chalk this season up as just some massive loss for the Sooners either, right? We kind of knew that... This game versus Baylor was going to be the point the compass in one direction or the other for Oklahoma. Obviously, it's disappointing that in a game where, again, I, I think that you did had, have chances, even in the second half, John, to go win this game, they couldn't get it done. I, I don't know that it means that this season has to be a total wash, but uh, we're kind of at that point, right? We're at the breaking point to where now these final couple of games, what does this team still have left in the tank, or is or is this going to break the camel's back, so to speak?
0: Yeah, it is a frustrating performance and it's one of those that as we look to the end of the season, there's still opportunity to turn it around, at least finish on a high note. It's a bummer. You have four Big 12 losses, but you got a chance to kind of pull to three and four in the Big 12 play and finish with eight wins on the season. If you can you know, run the table over the final three weeks, but we'll talk about the offense a little bit here coming up next. We'll have some more bigger takeaways from this game as well. Uh, but first, Josh is going to talk to you about LinkedIn.
1: LinkedIn Jobs, they are here, ladies and gents, to make it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. You obviously want to hire the best personnel that you possibly can. LinkedIn Jobs, they're going to make that possible for you. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. It's simple. Then you just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. They've got the simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses, they all rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at linkedin.com that is linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Uh, we we could talk ourselves through this thing until we're blue in the face with defensive problems for Oklahoma, John. But uh, the bottom line is for Oklahoma offensively, you can't turn it over that much and go win a game against a team like Baylor.
0: No, not at all. And you look at the the interceptions, a couple of them I I chalk them up as fluke plays. Like the first one, you know, the defensive lineman just kind of gets his hand out there on a play that's like right at shoulder height. He has Daniel Parker running the slant picking up a first down, but the you know the defensive player makes a good play on it. He gets his hand out, but it it, bat, it goes up in the air as opposed to just knocking it down and it's an interception. That that's an unfortunate one. You hate to see it. I don't necessarily put that all on Dylan Gabriel. The defender made a made a really good play. The second one, that's a tough one, man. He's throwing a 50-50 ball across the middle to a a a player a receiver who's fairly well covered. I still contended that, that was defensive pass interference, about as egregious of a defensive pass interference as you'll see. The guy's got both hands on Braden Willis as he's trying to make, you know, make it across the middle and Willis puts a paw up there to try to make a play on it. And you can't fault him for it. A player is going to make a play. And then it uh, again, the ball gets tipped up in the air as opposed to falling to the ground. That's a second interception. That third one by Dylan Gabriel, just trying to make a play. It's not a good throw. It's not a good decision, but he's trying to make a play, trying to get something going. And that combined with penalties at inopportune times, it, it hurts. And people want to talk, you know, I, I've seen people on Twitter telling me like, don't blame the rest for this game. Well, listen, that second interception that should have been called back because of defensive pass interference—and this is all I'm going to say about it—that led to three points. The final margin of victory was three points. It has an impact. It, it definitely has an impact on the game. So the offense was good at times, and I, I get what people are saying. Like they put up 499 yards rush or pat, total yards. They were 10 of 15 on third down. They were four or five in the red zone. Was it was a solid performance for the Oklahoma Sooners offense, but it felt disjointed. It felt herky jerky. Like there was never really any momentum gained. You know, they they had they, they had a great opening drive, and then they had the big play to Marvin Mims. And you're looking at this, you're like, okay, things are going pretty well for Oklahoma, but it just seemed like as soon as things started to go well, there was either a mental mistake or an interception something that, or, you know, the, the failed fourth down conversion that just killed it, just killed all of the offensive momentum that they had. And it, it seemed like they were really having to struggle to get that momentum back throughout the game.
1: Just looking at the drive chart, I think tells you about kind of the, the bumpiness that, that you're talking about, obviously great start uh, ten play 75 yard drive to jump in front right out of the chute. Uh, But then uh, the interception that you you detailed, come back, touchdown, interception, downs, touchdown, interception, missed field goal, punt, touchdown, punt, touchdown, right? So it it shows you kind of just there wasn't really that consistent touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Oklahoma never really did, uh, whether it was based on turnovers or or give Baylor credit, you know, for some nice defensive plays as well. Uh, Obviously, the – Stop on downs uh, was a huge sequence in the game. But uh, whatever it was, right, never really completely settled in offensively. And it didn't have the feel that Oklahoma had settled in offensively. Kind of both sides of the football, John. That's why I don't know that you look at this game and even though Oklahoma, what, was near 500 yards total offense because of the the turnovers that you lost and just the, again, herky-jerky nature that you described offensively, it, to me, was, uh, you know, it was a team loss, right? I know that a lot of people probably want to point more fingers at the defense for this loss to Baylor, but I think that there's blame to go around on both sides, John.
0: I 100% concur with that. I, I really think that it was one of those games where you needed, you know, somebody to step up and, and make a significant play. And while, I mean, Eric Gray, I think, was kind of the best player on the field for Oklahoma on Saturday – It just didn't seem like there were enough guys stepping up to make plays. Yes. The offense put up 35 points. Yes. They racked up 500 total yards at the end of the day, though, it's a loss and it could have been better. Like they, they could have had a better performance. It was not as efficient as it needed to be. It wasn't as explosive as it needed to be. And it wasn't, um, a great coordinated attack again, a good performance, a solid performance, but it wasn't good enough to win. And I, I hate even you know throwing any shade at the offense because again, 500 total yards basically. But when, you know, especially down the stretch, like they needed to go a little bit faster in the fourth quarter. They didn't seem to play with a whole lot of urgency with less than nine minutes to play on that touchdown drive that made it, uh, what, 30, what was it? 31, 20 or 38 35 I think is what that that drive made it um, and then left about four minutes left to play on the clock like I felt like they were just kind of doing things pretty methodically and very intent on running the football where that's a situation where you probably need to try and score as fast as you can so that if you need to you know kick it onside kick or, or have as many possessions as possible so that you can get back in the game and potentially take a lead well when Baylor got the ball back with four minutes left to play that was all they needed and it was Ball game. They ran a beautiful four-minute drill on a defense that just couldn't stop the run. Again, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, but just offensively, I just felt like yeah, it it wasn't really in sync today. And and Baylor, you know, they've got some good defenders, especially along that defensive front, that make things very very difficult. Overall, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. You know, they they put up. You know, Eric Gray ran the ball well. Dylan Gabriel had opportunities to to run as well, and I didn't feel like. Dylan Gabriel was under pressure a ton. Uh, according to pro football focus, he was only under pressure on nine of his dropbacks out of 40, which I mean, that's pretty decent. Like uh, 22% of his dropbacks was he under pressure. And even then I didn't, there was only a couple times where I felt like, okay, they, they really got to him on that one. Otherwise I felt like he did a really good job at avoiding the pressure and getting outside the pocket, trying to make a play using his feet to scramble. So I thought the offensive line played pretty well against a really, really good defensive front. They ran the ball effectively with Eric Gray. When it wasn't somebody named Eric Gray, the running game was a little bit hurt, uh, up and down. It was not great. The fourth and one. At this point, why are we using anybody other than Eric Gray in short yardage situations? He knows he knows the game. He knows what he's supposed to do on that. And that's just get upfield fast, find a, find a hole, and get there. As opposed to standing in the backfield, dancing around, waiting for a long developing run. First of all, why are we calling a run like that on a fourth and one where they know you're going to be running the football? Let's make sure it's going to be something that's a dive play off tackle, get the ball in the running backs hands, let him just go full head of steam moving forward again. I love Mark. I'm a Marcus major fan. I'm a Javante Barnes fan. I just want to see Eric gray with the ball in his hands in a crucial situation. And that was a crucial situation and they decided to take it out of his hands and give it to somebody else. You could have put it in Braden Willis's hands and I'd have been even more pleased with that. They opened the game with a Braden Willis run a little, you know, sweep to the tight end on the outside and it was effective. I would have loved to see them use him more in that short yardage situations, but they didn't. So yeah, I, I, it was a game where I felt like both the offense and the defense, Josh, weren't able to, find their footing. I don't feel like they had a, a great grasp of what Baylor was wanting to do on either side of the ball. And some of that kind of comes down to, to coaching. And when you learn, when you lose 38-35 and you have discipline issues, as Brent Venables alluded to in the post-game press conference, that's that's a player thing. Absolutely it is, but it's also a coaching thing. If, if the players aren't playing disciplined, then they're not being coached to play disciplined as well. They're, they're not being held accountable to playing disciplined, And that's been an issue for a lot of this year.
1: You know, offensively, when, when we look at this game, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, the theory of Marcus Major in a short yardage situation like that because of his build, right, it, it makes sense. But I hear what you're saying, which is, look, right now, Eric Gray's the best offensive weapon, maybe top to bottom for Oklahoma. And that includes Marvin Mims, who has largely been fabulous for the Sooners. But Eric Gray's got to be in that consideration, right? So when that's when that is what it is, even if Eric Gray doesn't physically have the type of mold that maybe you would want in a fourth down and two, a fourth down and one, a fourth down and half a yard. I'm okay with giving it to Eric Gray, right? Because he's been one of your your best offensive weapons. I think that's a a fair critique for you. I just think big picture for Oklahoma, John, this game uh, showed us a couple of things. Number one, the, uh, the, the most obvious of all is, you know, whether it was the way Oklahoma dialed it up, right? Whether it's the size of your quarterback being part of the reason that you end up with a tipped ball interception, whether it's you just, you know, give credit to Baylor. Turnovers like that, man, are hard to overcome when you don't create a bunch uh, yourself, right? And for Oklahoma, this is an offense right now, John, that, look, uh, it's not capable really of bailing Oklahoma's defense out. Maybe in years past, you were capable of doing that with a Baker Mayfield offense, with a Kyler Murray offense, even at times with with a Jalen Hurts offense, right? You're not really capable of doing that right now offensively. So Oklahoma, man, it's just... I guess from that standpoint, you're not elite enough really on either side of the football to give yourself that wiggle room. And once you pull even with the big pass to Marvin Mims, you just kind of look at that one set of uh, series in the second quarter. John, I mean, ultimately decides the game. Baylor gets up by 10 points again and Oklahoma kind of never really quite got back. Right. And that's the mark of a team that is just that in average to bad football team you know you hate to describe Oklahoma as a bad football team but kind of in that neighborhood right now
0: they're doing the things that bad footballs football teams do to lose games and we'll kind of talk a little bit through a few more of those things and have more takeaways but first I want to talk to y'all about bet online it's the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports needs find all the latest player developments team matchups and news always get in-depth analysis for every game over at bet online. It's your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up to the minute scores for every sport, the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including major league baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online is where the game starts. And Hey, thanks for making locked on Sooners your first listen, every single day, when you're done with us, go check out the locked on sports today podcast with our guy, Peter Bukowski. He brings you all of the latest and the biggest stories in sports in under 20 minutes go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with the local experts and insights only locked on can provide locked on sports today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. So you talked about the way that they kind of ended the second half and another, you know, big miscue was as they're driving, they're trying to get into field goal range and Andrew rain with the illegal hands to the face, unfortunately knocks you know, Zach Schmidt to kind of the, the place he hadn't kicked from yet this year. He hadn't had an attempt beyond 50 yards this year. Shanks that one, I say shanks it, but it just kind of pushes, you know, wide there at the end of the kick. Um, an unfortunate moment because that that was a chance where they could have tied the game going into halftime instead, you know, they're, they're down three. Baylor gets the ball to start the half, comes out, scores an immediately 10 point lead for the bears. Um, just those those little things, the little parts of this game were were big moments in this game ultimately. And you hate to boil it down to one player or, or one moment because the overarching thing was that Oklahoma wasn't good enough. And and I think that's what you talked about. But when you're not good, you make those kind of mistakes that ultimately cost you. And it's that one. It's the Isaiah Co. penalty. It's the the interceptions. It's you know, missing on fourth and one, it's not targeting Marvin Mims enough. He only had five targets in the game and it looked, I mean, obviously he was a big factor, you know, going for 120 on four catches and a touchdown, but maybe there needed to be, needed to be more, you know, Jaleel Farouk only had five targets in this game. Uh, I mean, you targeted Eric Gray eight times. He had 31 total touches, which is great. I mean, he, he was productive for you, especially on the first drive where he picked up 14 yards on that second and 15 to, to really put you in a manageable third and one situation. But I'm feeling like I, I, I don't know why Marvin Mims can go stretches of games without really seeing many opportunities. Maybe it's just the, the style of player that he is because he's very much a deep threat for this team and he's going to be a home run hitter. So maybe that just makes it to where he's not going to, to get a lot of targets, but it's just odd that he doesn't get as many targets. One thing that you touched on, before we went to the break was that this team on either side of the ball isn't good enough to pick up. Like last year's team, when the offense wasn't great, the defense played a little bit better. In years past, it was the offense carrying the defense. And I think you're absolutely right. We're just not in a position where the offense can carry the defense. And that doesn't mean that Dylan Gabriel is a bad quarterback. It just means he's not Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts, which are three of the best quarterbacks to ever play the position at the University of Oklahoma. That doesn't mean Dylan Gabriel's bad. It just means that he's not at that level. And should he have to be? That was the problem during the Lincoln-Riley era, right? Is that we had to have elite quarterback play, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback play in order to win football games. Bringing Brent Venables in, and I believe it's still going to take some time. Like We might still be two years away from seeing Brent Venables' defense really come to fruition. I think you tweeted it last week or the week before last about the trend of Brent Venable's defenses really hitting like two years down the road from when he started. I know you're pulling that up now, so I'll continue to vamp as you look for that, but it's, it's going to take some time. I mean, we're still dealing with mostly Alex Grinch recruited players on the defensive side of the football. A a few transfers that came in to, to try and make an impact. Jeffrey Johnson, Jonah Laula who have at times made impacts, but also at times shown that they're a group of five players. Uh, you have a few four-star guys that have come in this year, but they're true freshmen. They're still trying to kind of figure their way in. Jaron Kanick made some plays, also got lost in the in the muck a, a couple times as well, where he was just out of position to make a play. Um, so this is a team that's still building. It's still growing. The A couple more recruiting classes, and we should start to see Brent Venable's defense really take hold.
1: So just and, you know, I don't like being in the business of telling fans how to feel, John. I think both things can be true, right? I I don't know that there's a a right or a wrong until we see two, three years, four years down the line, ultimately how this thing plays out. And unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, this is a toxic trait of mine, John, probably lean more to the pessimistic side by nature. I don't want to be that way. I would like to inject a little more positivity into your life and into my own life life when it comes to sports. But uh, all of that is to say, I don't think that anybody's right. Like, I see Oklahoma fans fighting over whether to be positive or negative about the way things are going, whether, you know, it's fair to be this upset about this Oklahoma team being five and four. Absolutely it's fair to be this upset about this Oklahoma team being five and four. Absolutely. It's fine to be optimistic about what Brent Venables and what this staff can accomplish in the future. There is no right answer right now. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. I, I hope that this thing works out for Oklahoma. I think there's a track record to suggest that it will. When you hear stay the course with Brent Venables and Oklahoma's defensive growth, John, 2012 Clemson, this is the year uh, Brent Venables took over at Clemson. Rush defense was 57th, pass defense was 71st, total defense was 63rd, scoring defense was 48th nationally. Okay, Uh, Incremental improvement in 2013, I don't need to read those numbers for you. The important thing is two years later, 2014 Clemson, rushing defense 5th, passing defense 2nd, total defense tops nationally, scoring defense 3rd. Right. So there is a track record here with with Brent Venables and, you know, not necessarily with all of these guys directly that are a part of this staff around it. But with Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator, there is a track record that if you give this thing patience, if you give this thing time. And he gets to coach these guys up and gets to get his players in the system that, yes, there is hope that two years down the road, you can legitimately be a top three scoring defense in the top total defense naturally. Now, again, like I said, this is a long rant to say, I'm not here to tell you how to feel one way or the other, John.
0: That's such a cop out, Josh. Tell the people how to feel. Come on, man. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think it's fair. Like you can be frustrated. I'm frustrated at the performances, but because I also lean optimistic, I'm like, okay, I'm willing to, to you know play it out. Like people talk about Oregon. Um, and Dan Lanning and I saw over at 24-7 Sports. My guy Bryant um, from Sooners Wire, my colleague over there, he shared it with me in our in our group chat. Like that there's a, a heading, would Oklahoma have been better off with Dan Lanning? Let's let's be fair. Like Dan Lanning took over from Mario Cristobal, who helped create a pretty good defensive unit for the Oregon Ducks. And I mean, I, I think it's okay. Like Dan Lanning took over a pretty solid team. Brian Kelly at LSU took over a team that had five-star players at different levels of their defense. Listen, it's okay that it takes time. I, I was one of the people that was very optimistic about what Brent Venables was going to be able to do in year one. I tweeted out, they could go undefeated. I talked about it before the season started. It it didn't happen. I was wrong. hundred percent wrong. Things didn't go the way that I thought they would go. That doesn't mean I don't I don't think that Brent Venables can still build a very successful program at Oklahoma. I'm frustrated with the way things have transpired this year, not because I was wrong, but because I I love the Sooners, man. I want them to do well. I spend too many hours talking about this team, writing about this team, watching this team, ignoring my kids for this team. For them to not be good, like I don't like wasting Saturdays watching four hours of football and then watching a loss. At the same time, I think it's going to get better. I think it's going to be fine. I wish I would have started the show with this because that would be more entertaining, but I, I think Brent Venables in this coaching staff is going to build something great and it's going to, but it's going to be maybe next year, the year after that. And so while I, as a fan, I, I don't like losses. I hate losses. It's the worst, especially when Texas wins on a, on a day and maybe Kansas state suck it. Um, but I'm willing, like, you know, a couple of days later, like okay, yes, we got to talk about the things that went wrong, but we can also have a big picture view that it's going to get better. At least I, I'm of the belief that it's going to get better.
1: I'm still hopeful in that way too. And again, there's a track record that bears that out. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that if it's if it's going to get immediately better. And you know, I think kind of this Baylor game was a sharp, frustrating reminder that it's probably not going to get better very, very quickly. It might not get better as soon as next season. And it's going to try Oklahoma fans' patience. I think that probably we're headed for an offseason of some malcontent in some corners of the Sooner fan base, right? And that's just kind of the direction this thing is headed. So I guess what I'm saying to Sooner Nation is prepare yourself for some negativity right prepare yourself for some uh, uncertainty from both national talking heads and from your own fan base in, in bits and pieces right prepare for that for me right I, i've warned you here sometimes i lean a little bit pessimistic i still believe that this staff before it's all said and done is going to get straightened out i will say coming out of this baylor performance john look uh some of it is nice play by baylor I'm not sure that Dylan Gabriel – and I like Dylan Gabriel, okay? I think he's a terrific kid. I uh, I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't know that this is going to be great at Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel as your starting quarterback. And, again, I think you said it well earlier. That's not me sitting here telling you Dylan Gabriel's not a good quarterback or is this bad quarterback. I don't think that he's that transcendent quarterback that you've had at Oklahoma in years past. And while Oklahoma's kind of, you know, across the board, John, taking its lumps and growing, probably you need to prepare yourself that there's going to be more moments like Saturday with Dylan Gabriel as your starting quarterback.
0: And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show. Thank you for subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So go check us out over there as well. Let us know your takeaways, your your biggest takeaway from the game, what you thought of the defensive or offensive performance uh, over there on YouTube as well. But until we talk more about this game, talk more about the future of Oklahoma, what the rest of the season holds, he's Josh Elmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.